We are all tempted to sin, but that doesn't mean we should succumb to the temptation. Here's Pastor John Randall. There is always an escape from temptation. There is always an exit. You can't stop temptation from coming, but you can do something about it when it does come. And one of the things you can do is pray. Some people, they don't pray about temptation. Before it comes, they don't pray, Lord, lead me not into temptation today. They just walk right into it. And then they enter into temptation and they mess around with it and they flirt with it and they, you know, engage in it. And then when they get to this point where temptation is about to come forth, they say, oh God, deliver me now. Please stop me from doing this, Lord. I can't, you know, as if the Lord's gonna step in right now when you put your yourself in a place where you're going to fall. Temptation is to be avoided. It's to be run from. Thoughts that are not of the Lord are to be taken captive to the obedience of Christ. Great to have you along as we open our Bibles to the book of Luke on a daily walk. John Randall is the pastor of Calvary South OC. As we near the end of our series through Luke, we get to some scenes familiar to most Christians, including Peter's road to denial of the Lord and Jesus's experience in the garden. Now, along the way, we'll gain some valuable principles on overcoming temptation and being in the will of God. We'll be covering chapter 22. And Jesus tells Peter, Peter, listen, before the rooster crows today, you're gonna deny me three times. That must have just come as such a shock to Peter. Peter really wanted to be the guy that was willing to die for Jesus. He wanted to be that guy. And you know something? One day he would be. Church history tells us historically, Peter did die. Jesus predicted how Peter would die, said that he would be crucified. You can read about it in John's gospel at the very end, tells him that people would lead him away where he didn't want to go and predicted how he would die. But when Peter was to be crucified, church history tells us that because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified like his Lord, he demanded, asked, requested to be crucified upside down, and he was. He eventually would die for the Lord, but he wasn't ready Sometimes we think we're ready. Lord, I'm ready for this. I'm ready for that, Lord. I am ready. And we're, re- we're not as ready as we think we are. And the Lord knows that. A couple of things to make note of which would lead to Peter's denial of the Lord and things that I think it's, it's important that we guard against and that we're all susceptible to. For one thing, we find that Peter contradicted the words of Jesus. That is always the road to denial. Contradicted God's word, assumed that that scripture didn't apply to him. You ever sat in a Bible study and thought, oh man, I wish so-and-so was here. (laughs) They really need to hear this. They are so proud. Too bad they're not humble like me. (laughs) I wish my husband was here. Can I get a DVD of this? Can I get a CD? I'm gonna put one in his car, at his job, tape it to his forehead while he's asleep. I just think he needs to, you ever had that happen? Here we find Peter contradicted the words of Jesus. But the other thing that is also a road to denial and is very deceptive is he compared himself and elevated himself among other believers. Jesus said, all of you are gonna be made to stumble. And again, Peter comparing himself to the other guys. Oh, that couldn't happen to me. That's not my struggle. Oh man, that guy's got issues, but that's not my issue. And he elevated himself by comparing himself. It's a dangerous thing to do. Leads to denial. We also find something to be avoided is that Peter overestimates his ability and he underestimates the enemy. Jesus said, Satan desires you, Peter. Satan who? I got this dangerous thing. But also, Peter was told, we'll find repeatedly to pray, and rather than pray, he slept. He wasn't prepared. 
Jesus prayed for Peter, just like he prays for us. In verse 35, then Jesus said to his disciples, when I sent you without money bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? And they said, nothing. And he said to them, but now, he who has a money bag, let him take it. Likewise, a knapsack. He who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you, that this which is written must still be accomplished in me. And he was numbered with all the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. And they said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. Jesus reminds the disciples of a time in their lives when they had gone out on a missionary venture, a journey they were sent on to preach the gospel. And you remember when he sent them out, on that occasion, he told them, you don't need to take this and you don't need to take that and it's not necessary to take this. Wherever you go, stay there and don't take two cloaks. It's not necessary and you're not gonna need this. And, and so they went out by faith and he, he reminds them of this. He said, you remember that occasion when the ministry was, was in this season of his ministry? Remember how you lacked nothing? Did you need anything? They said, no, we were fine. We didn't need anything. Jesus said, things are about to change. Things are about to change. I'm about to be numbered with the transgressors. Jesus would be crucified. That's what's about to happen. And now things are different. And so you need to take these things. You need to put this in your, in your hands. You need to have this alongside of you. In other words, again, he's saying, circumstances are gonna change, guys. You're all gonna deny me. You're all gonna run. You're all gonna flee. This is gonna, things are gonna be altered here in a minute when he's gonna be crucified. And again, the disciples did not fully understand this. They could not comprehend what was about to take place, that Jesus was going to fulfill biblical prophecy, being numbered with the transgressors. Well, in verse 39, Jesus now makes his way with the disciples to Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's worth noting that leaving Jerusalem, making your way to the Garden of Gethsemane toward the Mount of Olives, Jesus would have crossed over what was called the Brook Kidron. And the Brook Kidron is there in a valley there. And the interesting thing is that when the priests would sacrifice these lambs, and again, we have noted already in previous studies that it was estimated that about 256,000 lambs were offered up on this particular Passover, that the blood of those lambs would oftentimes run down into the ravine, into the brook Kidron, making the, the waters of the brook Kidron very dark because of the stain of all of the blood. Imagine the Son of God leaving Jerusalem because he had been betrayed, crossing over the brook Kidron, making his way into the Garden of Gethsemane. For those of you that have studied the Old Testament, you know that this was not the only person who ever had to flee or leave Jerusalem and cross over the brook Kidron. You remember that David, when his son Absalom betrayed him, he was forced to leave Jerusalem. It says crossing over the brook Kidron. And here you have hundreds and hundreds of years later, the son of David, the greater than David, crossing over the brook Kidron, having been betrayed by Judas, much like Absalom, making his way into the Garden of Gethsemane. Normally, the Garden of Gethsemane was a place where you could rest and relax, a place where you could just take a break from everyday ministry. When we go to Jerusalem, we will visit the Garden of Gethsemane. It's not exactly like it was back then. There are roads and people honking and everything. It's a little different. 
but it still is a beautiful place to be. These olive trees growing there, some which are extremely old, hundreds and hundreds of years old. And Jesus went into this place called the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas knew that he would be there, for Jesus had gone there before. And the word Gethsemane is a word that means oil press. And the olives would be taken from these trees, and in order to retrieve the oil, they would have to be crushed in a press. And the oil would then flow freely. Jesus is going into the Garden of Gethsemane now, and he is, in a very real sense, he is going to be crushed under the weight of all that he is about to to bear upon his shoulders. And as he is crushed, we'll find the oil of the Holy Spirit being made available to us as a result of his crushing in Gethsemane. But as Jesus is there, he encourages disciples to pray with him. The Bible tells us that he is in deep anguish. Look at what it says in verse 39. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed. In other words, he'd been there before and his disciples followed him. And he came to the place, this is to Gethsemane, and he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Make note of that, Christian. Jesus exhorts his disciples that one of the ways to overcome temptation is to be a person of prayer. Pray that you would not enter into temptation. Jesus, you remember the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he gave them a model for prayer. And part of that model was lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If you want to overcome temptation when you face it, pray, pray before. When it comes, in whatever form that it comes, and what may be a temptation for you may not be a temptation for me. What may be a temptation for me may not be a temptation for you. But what I do know is we need to be people of prayer to overcome temptation. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verse 13, that no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God will with the temptation uh, make a way of escape so that you may be able to bear it. There is always an escape from temptation. There is always an exit. You can't stop temptation from coming, but you can do something about it when it does come, and one of the things you can do is pray. Some people, they don't pray about temptation. Before it comes, they don't, they don't pray, Lord, leave me not in temptation today. They just walk right into it. And then they enter into temptation and they mess around with it and they flirt with it and they, you know, engage in it. And then when they get to this point where temptation is about to be full grown and, and come forth, they say, oh God, deliver me now. Please stop me from doing this, Lord. I can't, you know, as if the Lord's gonna step in right now when you put yourself in a place where you're gonna fall. Temptation is to be avoided. It's to be run from. Thoughts that are not of the Lord are to be taken captive to the obedience of Christ. Pray, Jesus said that you enter not into temptation, avoid it. And when it comes, just immediately plead the blood of Jesus, go into the offensive aspect of prayer, on the offensive, praying against it, praying over it and praying scripture and, and finding deliverance, guys, through prayer. Jesus told his disciples, pray, the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Jesus then takes the gospels, tell us three disciples, Peter, James, and John, and he goes a little bit farther And he's in deep anguish, and he says, please pray with me. Jesus asking for prayer, asking them to pray with him. The Bible records that Jesus, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, it uses at least three verbs to describe the anguish of his soul. And I want to make mention of this to you. One one gospel writer says that Jesus was sorrowful. And the word for sorrowful means to be distressed, it means to grieve, it means to be anguished. Another word that is used in the Gospels is that Jesus was troubled. 
It means to be in anxiety, to be full of heaviness, even perhaps to be depressed, overwhelmed. To be deeply distressed means exceedingly sorrowful, horrified, dismayed. I point all of that out to you to let you know that there are no depths that you could go to that Jesus hasn't already been farther down. There are depths of anguish and toil and, and sorrow of heart and pain and all of it that Jesus has been there that we'll never even come close to touching. There are certain things that Jesus was enduring in this garden that, that we don't even come close to. And I, and I say that to, to tell you this, he knows what it's like. And if you came in here overwhelmed and oppressed and depressed and anxious and all the rest of it and sorrow has filled your heart, he's been there. He knows how to minister to you, but you got to call on him. You got to call on him. He's a savior. You got to call on him and say, Lord, help me. Lord, save me. Lord, minister to me in this moment. I need you, Jesus. And listen, he will. The Bible says that Jesus was in all points made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Listen, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he's able to aid those who are being tempted. I am so glad that Jesus was numbered with the transgressors, that in his humanity, he can identify with the struggles that I have, that you experience. But do you call upon him? Do you realize the sufficiency that's found in Christ to pull you out of this, to deliver you from this? Have you asked for his help? Jesus knew what it was like to be in great pain and anguish. And then as Jesus was praying, look at verse 41. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and he prayed. And we know from the gospels that he prayed this at least three times. Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer, he had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow, and he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Jesus now makes a decision in the garden to obey the will of the Father. Human history began in the garden, in the Garden of Eden. And the first Adam was given a similar choice, to do his own will or to do the will of God. And you remember that Adam chose to do his own will. And when Adam chose to disobey the word of God and to do his own will, the Bible says that death passed to all men. But here is Jesus, the last Adam, in the garden, faced with a similar decision, either to do his own will or to do the will of the Father. And whatever decision he makes will affect all of humanity. Just like Adam's decision affected us, so the decision of Jesus will affect us. And Jesus chose to submit to the will of the Father. And when he did, life passed to all men. The opportunity for redemption, for salvation, passed to all men. Jesus said, if there's any other way. But there wasn't any other way. He said, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, this cup of wrath and indignation that he was about to drink, as it were, as he went to the cross. If there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But then he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He submitted to the will of the Father. 
every time that we pray, it's important that we submit to the will of the Father. Not our will being done, but his will being done. God's will should be the highest goal and intention of our prayer. Lord, let your will be done. I wonder if you are submitting to the will of God for your life today. If you have said, not my will, but yours be done, to the Lord. Maybe you're one of those people today and you are wrestling with the will of God. Maybe even resisting the will of God, like Jacob in the Old Testament. Do you remember Jacob? Jacob began to wrestle with God, it seemed like, from the moment he was born. Grabbed hold of his brother's ankle. And, I mean, this guy was, was wrestling with God from the very beginning. And you remember at one point, he rips off his brother Esau, takes his birthright, takes his blessing, and now he has to hit the road because his brother wants to kill him. And he runs for his life. He ends up in this place called Bethel, and he, has this, he sleeps on a rock one night as a pillow, and he, he has this vision of God, angels ascending and descending, and, and he wakes up and says, man, surely God was in this place, and I didn't even know it. And then he makes a deal with God. God, if you bring me back to this place, I'll, I'll serve you. I'll worship you. You'll be my God. Makes a deal. Okay. Jacob then is sent to Laban, and he thought he was sneaky. He thought that Jacob thought that he was the conniver. No one's going to pull a fast one over on him until he met his uncle. And he realized this must run in the family. He, he goes to Laban, sees one of Laban's daughters, wants to marry her. She is fine. This girl, he wants to marry her. And so he sets this, this, makes this deal. Seven years, I'll work for you and, I, and I'll, I'll get your daughter. He goes, has the marriage ceremony, wakes up in the morning only to see it's not the girl he married. That's a little startling. The Bible says she had weak eyes. I don't know what that means. Like one was crossed. I have no idea. <laughs> I haven't looked up the Hebrew context. But the thing is, it wasn't the right girl. And Laban said, oh, my bad. There, uh, there's a custom. Did I tell you about that? I forgot to tell you about that. I was so excited in the wedding. <laughs> you can have the other girl too. You just got to work another seven years. Oh, I see how it is. So he did. He worked again. And years went by. And he went through difficulty and trial and hardship. And God was using it in his life. And Jacob was a fighter. And then finally, he was able to be delivered from Laban. And he starts making his way back to Bethel, where he had met with God the first time. And as he's making his way, he's thinking, finally, I am done with Laban. And then he gets a message. Jacob, we got, got a message for you. Yeah, who's it from? It's from your brother Esau. He's coming to meet you. My hairy red brother, Esau? The one I, I stole his birthright and his blessing, he said he was going to kill me last time I saw him, that one? Yeah, your twin brother, he's coming. And he's got a bunch of soldiers with him. Awesome. So Jacob starts, <laughs> he starts planning what to do. He starts sending presents in the form of sheep and oxen, and this is from Jacob, and these are for you. And he's trying to, you know, prepare for his brother's arrival. And then at night, he separates his family, puts him over here, puts him over here, and then he separates himself. And the Bible says that he wrestled with the angel of the Lord that night, all night long, wrestling with this angel to the breaking of day. And Jacob thinks, if Esau gets my family, at least I could get away. I could still run. He wrestles with the angel all night. And then it says the angel put out the socket of his hip, shriveled up this particular muscle in his leg, which would hinder him from running. It's over, man. Where are you going to go now? And some people get this picture in the Old Testament of Jacob got the angel of the Lord in a full, you know, grip. I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me, all right? It's not like that. Jacob was a broken man. Jacob is gripping, weeping, holding fast, saying, please, 
don't go unless you bless me. You've taken everything from me. I can't run. I can't do anything. I'm broken. (laughs) This was the place that God wanted Jacob to, to come to, to surrender, to submit to the will of God. And guess what happened? God blessed his life. God changed his name. He made him into Israel, made him to be a man governed by God, where formerly he was a man that always fought with God and God's will. I want to encourage you, friend, today. If you are wrestling with God, do yourself a favor and tap out. Mercy, God, I'm good. No, seriously. (laughs) I am ready to do your will. (laughs) And listen, God loves you. He just wants to bless you. But I'll say this. The will of God isn't always easy. It's not. Jesus did the will of the Father. Was it easy? No. It was difficult. But the result of doing the will of the Father far outweighed any difficulty, any hardship. Guys, the longer you walk with the Lord, and we're finding this out, aren't we? It's better to be in the will of God and and it be difficult and, and a struggle than to be outside of the will of God. Much better to be close to Jesus in fellowship with Jesus than than to be far from him doing our own thing, which ultimately leads to destruction. Better to be in the will of God and, and going through hardship and experiencing difficulty and ultimately have a kingdom bestowed upon you than to be outside of that. So surrender today. Not I surrender some. I love that song. That's not how it goes. But I surrender all. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to him I freely give. Not our will, but his will be done. Well, Pastor John Randall is leading us through the Bible right now on a daily walk. And I'd imagine some of you would like to hear this message from Luke again. Maybe you joined us late. Go online to adailywalk.org and have a listen when it's most convenient. Or request a CD copy for a cost of just $5. You can reach us toll free at 877-242-0828. That's 877-242-0828. Another way to listen to Pastor John's teachings is through our mobile app. It's free and even available on Apple TV. Do a search for Calvary South OC. And we have a podcast, too, available wherever you get your podcasts. Well, we're super excited about this month's offer. It's a book from our friend in the ministry, Barry Stagner, titled The Time of the Signs. In it, Barry explores the events that will precede Christ's return. And he answers common questions like, why is the rebirth of Israel the most significant sign that the end times are near? Where does the rapture fit in the chronology of all that will occur in the last days? We're making it available to our A Daily Walk listeners for the cost of $12. Again, you can order online at adailywalk.org or call us at 877-242-0828. And by the way, anything given above that amount will be put to good use and help people all over the world grow in their daily walk as they listen to these daily studies. In some cases, actually enter into a relationship with Christ. Again, you can donate online safely and securely at adailywalk.org. You know, we often say it around here at A Daily Walk because it's true. We want to hear from you. It lets us know where the ministry is having an impact. And also, we love praying for our listeners. Write to Pastor John by email today at adailywalk at gmail.com. That's adailywalk at gmail.com. Here's a preview of our next study in Luke chapter 22 
when we'll hear about Peter's denial and how God would forgive and restore him. Remember, it was Jesus that told Peter that Satan desired to sift him like wheat, but that he was praying for him. In fact, it was Jesus who told Peter that he would deny him three times. I think Jesus looked at Peter with eyes of understanding. Oh, Peter was surprised at himself, but Jesus was not surprised. Have you ever been guilty of something you said you would never do? Oh, you know people that would do that, but you would never do that. that. You're a person of integrity. You're trustworthy. You would never do that, and yet you did, and you were surprised. Jesus wasn't surprised. If that's you, the best thing to do is repent, and you'll find that Jesus will forgive you. Later on, we'll find this isn't the end of the story for Peter. He goes out, and he weeps bitterly. He thinks that his life and ministry is over. He's failed. He can never be used again, but after Jesus was resurrected from the dead. You know, one of the the words that were spoken was, go tell my disciples and Peter that I've risen from the dead. Peter was a man who was broken and humbled, and he needed to know that Jesus was alive. And eventually, he was restored, placed back in the ministry, empowered with the Holy Spirit, and preached the first sermon there in the book of Acts. And 3,000 people in one day were added to the church. But at this moment, this was an extremely low point for the Apostle Peter. He went out and he wept bitterly. The Lord's final steps that would lead to the cross, coming up next time on A Daily Walk with John Randall. This is a presentation of Calvary South O.C., 